Good morning. Good to see everybody here this morning. Hope that everybody is doing well. If you brought a Bible with you, you saw the scripture on the screen just a moment ago. We will be in the Gospel of Matthew this morning, chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. Uh, Moving along in our No Grow Show series, thinking about why we exist and how we accomplish the mission to which Christ particularly called us here at First Baptist Church Grandview 2. Um, I'm excited to be back with you after uh, last week, being uh, with the entire community down at the high school. Uh, it was a great time of worship together uh, with the community of believers here in Grandview. It's always a, a joy to cross beyond local church lines uh, in order to join with other people and confess the same Christ, uh, confess the same hope, confess the same gospel, and we enjoyed getting to do that together last week. Uh, also, uh, to pass along with you, um, pass along to you, as Daniel said earlier, I uh, had souls saved this weekend, about uh, at least 15 that we know of, uh, so I'm going to tell you that news again because it's that good, uh, and we are uh, excited to celebrate uh, what God is doing in our community, not only last week, but what we believe He's doing in our community today, what He's going to be doing next year, what He's going to be doing in between, what He's going to be doing after that, uh, because we believe that God has called us to His ministry has included us in his plan to reach the world starting right here in Grandview, Texas. So again, we're going to be in Matthew 25. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, uh, that scripture will be on the screen again behind me when we get to that point. You can probably also find a Bible somewhere in your vicinity as well uh, if you would like to read from one of those. Um, So I am a big fan of my three little boys. Uh, But chances are, if you are here often, I don't have to tell you that uh, because they are the um, content of many of the sermon illustrations that I give, right? You can, uh, you know, you, you know that if there's any pastor's kids in the house, uh, that's kind of how it ends up, uh, end up being used as, as sermon illustration material. None of them are aware of it quite yet uh, because they're not in here uh, while the sermon is going on. Uh, if not, I'm sure they'd be asleep or passed out or something if they were, uh, but uh, they're not in here yet, so they don't get to know it. But you know uh, that I like to talk about them a lot, and I'm really quite fond of them. I didn't see that coming Seven years ago, when uh, Cheryl was expecting Corbin, I was, I was one of those guys who I, did, I didn't know what I was going to do uh, with kids. My sisters had already had several. Uh, all six, I guess, had been born before we had one. Uh, and I remember just any time I was asked to hold, it was like this, this foreign object that I was afraid I was going to break. And, and so that, that this, this fatherly tenderness, if you want to call it that, that this, this uh, obsession, if you want to call it that, that sometimes we can have with our kids, came unexpected to me. But again, I probably don't have to tell you that. Hopefully, it shows. Because there are some things about us that we just can't hide. Uh, We can't hide, normally, we can't hide where we have come from in the country uh, or what country we came from. There's usually an accent uh, that comes along with wherever we were raised. There's a way of talking, not only a way of talking, but particular words that we use that are peculiar to where we were raised, where we came from, such as, uh, I don't know if this is true in this part of Texas, but I know it was in West Texas. Uh, We didn't say soda uh, or pop. Everything was Coke. Is the same? Yeah, I think that's kind of a Texas thing. Yes? No? Anybody home? this morning. I think that's kind of a Texas thing. Uh, and you might be looking at me saying, well, we drink Dr. Pepper. We don't drink Coke, so don't worry about it. Um, and that's certainly a Texas thing. Um, but there are some things that just show, whether we want them to or not. 
Uh, you might go into a different culture or, or to a different part of the country, and you might kind of want to blend in uh, and, and, and keep that accent hidden. But if, 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 if you get to know the people well enough, it's going to come out at some point, right? I know that there are some members of our congregation that are from different parts of the country uh, that I can tell when they've gone back and, and visited home and then come back to us because they have that. Uh, one accent I hear is the Louisiana drawl. They have that when they come back from visiting their, their family back there, and it, it's something that you just can't hide. You know, the same ought to be true of the love of Jesus Christ within each of us, that it is so important, so integral to who we are as people, to how we live in the world, that we simply cannot hide it. That it's not something we always have to speak out loud to people, but that it is indicative and seen in the way that we live, in the way that we conduct ourselves, in the way that we reach out to others, in the things that we do, in the things that we don't do. It ought to be seen in that it is something that we just can't hide. And so as we talk about knowing the love of Christ, about growing in the love of Christ, and this week about showing the love of Christ, may we look at the love of Jesus in this, in this way. The love of Christ shows. It is something that if it is in you, it will come out of you. Other people will see it. We began several weeks ago looking at Ephesians 3, talking about us existing as a church to ensure that everybody in this community knows that they're loved by Jesus and us and his church. Uh, we talked about Paul's soaring passage on love in Ephesians 3 and, and how his prayer for the church at Ephesus was that they would know the love of Christ, this love that surpasses knowledge, knowing the unknowable love. That means we step into it more and more every day. That was his hope for Ephesus, and may that be our hope for our community as well. Then we looked at Philippians 3 the week after that and about knowing the love of Christ and how it outranks everything else, that in Paul's life, all of the, all of the things that in the worldly way of, of, of living and thinking he would have considered as great achievements or accomplishments, he counted them as lost, and then he even goes on to say, I count everything as rubbish, as waste, toxic waste we talked about, compared to the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ. And then the last time we were all together here, we talked about growing in love, looking at Hebrews 5 and the author of Hebrews talking about moving from a, a diet of milk to meat, of always taking one step closer to God every day, every moment that we have an opportunity. And today in Matthew 25, the end of the chapter, verse 31 through 46, we see one of the more profound, difficult and well-known explanations of what it really means to live and to show the love of Jesus Christ, right out of Christ's mouth himself. So before we turn to that passage, let us pray once again. <clears throat> Father, again, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for being love in us and for loving us the way that you have and loving us the way that you do and will. God, we thank you that we can never exhaust your love for ourselves. And God, I pray now that as we open your word, Lord, you would help us see that we cannot exhaust your love for others either. God, I pray that you would move in our hearts, remove distractions from our minds. God, that you through your spirit would testify to our spirit. And God, that you would show us how we can show love to others. God, that we would leave here with real-world practical application to the ways that we can love others in your name. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 25, 
verses 31 through 46, a passage often known as the sheep and the goats. Jesus says these words. When the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or, or naked and clothe you? And, and when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me, naked, and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This passage, parable, whatever you want to call it, at the end of Matthew 25 is, is the third and final parable in this chapter, uh, all three of which pointing forward towards the end of time, pointing forwards towards the second coming of Jesus. And really, it's going back even into chapter 23 of Jesus looking forward to this and giving advice and giving teaching on the second coming and what it's going to be like and how they need to be prepared in any and every situation, those who follow him. It's also his final teaching before the crucifixion narrative really gets up and running in chapter 26, moving towards the cross very quickly in the coming chapters. So this is, just by nature of its position within the text, within the Gospel of Matthew, a very important passage. One of the last things that Jesus says to his disciples before the crucifixion narrative begins, one of the last things that he says about the second coming in an entire section on the second coming. And so we're already zeroed in just contextually to the importance of this passage, this passage in which Jesus sets up an image in our mind of a great throne room and a king sitting on a throne with all the nations before him everyone that's ever existed and will ever exist, separating them, someone is left and someone is right, some sheep and some goats. Sheep and goats, they were primarily herded together in the first century in the time that Jesus walked the earth, but often when they were put up at night, 
um, they would be put up in, in different places because the sheep were hardier, didn't necessarily need the same protection from the cold and from the elements that the goats might have, and so they would separate them out. That's one story I read about why this would have been applicable to a shepherd at the time, but whether or not that's, that's actually what happened, there is obviously some reason for these two to be separated. And then you get into the metaphors of left and right in Scripture as well. The right hand is often seen as the chosen position. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. When uh, uh, anyone would want a position of authority, uh, they would come to Jesus and they would ask, can we sit at your right hand when you come into power? It was a position of, of choice, of preference and power and authority. And the left, obviously the opposite of that. And so again, we see Jesus setting this up. Both sides, the sheep and the goats, the right and the left, are given a similar premise. They are told that they saw Jesus, or they saw the king, the king being the one who's narrating the story, that they saw him. They saw him in need. They saw him hungry, thirsty, and naked. Uh, Basically, with those three, needy and lacking basic human necessities, food, water, protection from the elements, They saw him in that situation, and the sheep, the ones on the right, the first crowd that he addresses, we know that they offered him that help. But the goats are given the same exact presentation, that they saw him in that situation as well. Not only hungry, thirsty, and naked, but also they saw him as a stranger, as a prisoner, and as someone who is sick. Those affected by circumstance and in need of companionship, those alone and left alone by people around them that were supposed to comfort them, mistreated by society and potentially by the family of God as well, being sick, being a stranger, an outcast would be another word for that, or being in prison. And again, we know the difference between the two. The sheep went and offered the companionship. The sheep went and spent time with the person that was alone and lonely. The goats, on the other hand, had nothing to offer to meet the need. And again, we see a similarity between the two of them in that both of them respond to Jesus with very similar wording. What are you talking about? What are you talking about, king? I keep saying Jesus because I believe that the king is a metaphor for Jesus. You'll follow me on that one. So in Jesus telling the story, they both go to the king, both the sheep and the goats, and they say, what are you talking about? We didn't see you hungry or thirsty or, or, or naked or, or sick or, or in prison. We didn't see you in any of those situations. So how did we, how did we feed you? How did we offer you clothing or, or water? How did we come to you in your time of need? And then the goats would say, again, we didn't see you anywhere that you're talking about. You're saying we didn't do these things. We never saw you in that position. You, O king, if we had seen you in that position, we certainly would have stepped up and done something about it. We certainly would have met your need, king. Their behavior, both parties, is indicative of their everyday choices, not just what they do when they're being watched by people in power, not just when they're being watched by people with influence, not just when it will make a difference to their own well-being, material or otherwise. They're not being watched. This is what they habitually do. The author is trying, or Jesus is trying to tease out for us. This is not what you do when you know God is looking or, or when you're super aware that other people in the church might see what you're doing. No, this is the way that you live your daily life. 
incognito, Jesus says. The king says that he was. Because when you did it to the least of my brothers, the king says, or when you didn't do it to the least of my brothers, you did or didn't do it to me. It's really a profound statement. And perhaps the most profound truth within this text is that what we do to anyone, we do to Jesus. Now, if you think I'm overstating the point, really think about this parable. Whatever you did to the least of these, whatever you did to the smallest, to the worst, to the most hated, we see Jesus live this out in his life and in his ministry of going to the least of these, to the prostitutes and tax collectors, to the sinners and the gluttons. Jesus made himself available to what society, what religious society in his day would have said were the least of these. So again, contextually, it fits what you did to them or what you didn't do to them, you did or didn't do to me, the king says. Now, you might think, that sounds unfair. <laughs> again, if king, if we would have known it was you, we would have stepped up to the plate, right? Because you're worthy, You deserve all honor and glory and power, and you've given me life and given me so much on top of that, not just the ability to breathe in and out and exist on a day-to-day basis, but you've blessed me with a family, with with a job, with a purpose. You've given me all this good stuff, so if I would have known it was you, I would have done anything for you, but you expect me to treat you the same way that I would treat a beggar on the street? The same way I would treat someone that was left alone in prison because they deserved to be there? You're telling me that I should treat everyone the same way that I should treat you. And again, before you think that that's overstating the point or that it is unfair, think contextually. Think of one of the first things we learn about humanity in the Bible, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, that all of us are created in what way? In the image of God, male and female. He created them in God's image. God created all of us. So all of us bear. Now, it's covered up by sin and fallenness. But all of us at our most basic level, when we are knit together in our mother's womb, according to Psalm 139 that we're going to look at next week, going a different direction, but as we, as we think about humanity, all of us exhibit somewhere deep down within us the fingerprint of God, the image of the one who created us. Now, in thinking about who exactly Jesus is talking about reaching out to, there's been some debate amongst biblical scholars over the years. Some say that Jesus is just focusing on the brothers and the sisters In other words, fellow believers taking his, my brother's passage, whatever you did to the least of my brothers, you did also to me, Jesus, taking, some taking Jesus' words to point to just those who followed after him. Others thinking that this should be a universal application, that Jesus is talking about anybody and everybody. But let me submit to you that even that question in itself betrays a goat-like mind of one who stops and take account of who that person is before I decide to reach out to them. Again, this is everyday behavior which doesn't stop to consider when someone is in need whether or not that person is a believer and therefore deserving of such treatment. 
I don't think that question uh, was crossed by the biblical author, by Matthew or by Jesus himself, because that's not the point. The point is, as you are going and you see need, you offer that need, you show love in that moment. This is one of those passages where it's easy to look down on those on the left. It's easy to look down on those who are put up as an example of what not to be. Just like it often is with the Pharisees or many characters in the Old Testament, it's easy to look and say, well, those people are evil. I would never do anything like that. But let me point you to exactly what they did, because what they did is actually not what they did. It's what they failed to do, what we call often in the church a sin of omission. It's not that they were mean, purposefully, obviously, directly mean or mistreating anyone, calling them names or saying negative things about them or working against their good. No, the sin of the goats is that they did nothing. It's not what they did, it's what they failed to do. Because a love that never shows up is no love at all. It's a joke. It is lip service to what is the reality of love, a love that shows up. We see it in the two previous parables in chapter 25 as well. Again, these parables pointing towards the second coming of Christ, the first about ten virgins who were waiting on the uh, bridegroom to come, and they gathered together, and five of them uh, brought extra oil for their lamps. The other five did not. And so when they had to wait well into the night for the bridegroom to come, five of them were unprepared, had to run and go buy extra oil because they didn't bring enough, and then they ended up getting left behind and not being able to join the wedding feast. The second parable being the one of uh, uh, the parable of the talents where Jesus talks about three individuals who were given sums of money uh, by their master. Two of them take that money, use it, multiply it. The one who was given the least buries it in the backyard so so that he doesn't lose it and then presents it back to his master. And he is the one who was presented as the evil, slothful, wicked servant because he did nothing with what was given to him. Again, he didn't blow it. He didn't lose it. He kept it. The, the, The ten virgins, they didn't do anything terrible. They just weren't ready because of things that they didn't do to prepare. And so we see three different, and thinking about the second coming of Jesus, we see three different parables, all with the wicked people within those parables being the one who did nothing. Again, it's not about the one who who looks like a jerk in a situation because they said something terrible. No, we're talking about people who just hung out in the background and decided to not do anything. It'll take care of itself. Somebody else will go see this person in the prison or in the hospital. Somebody else will give that person food or clothing or water. Somebody else will take care of that. This is who Jesus, who the king is talking to when he says, whatever you didn't do for them, you didn't do for me. Because a love that never shows up is no love at all. Commentator I was reading this week by the name of Myron Augsburger said that all one needs to do to miss out on God's grace is to ignore him. It's not the people who are actively evil, who are seeking around trying to wreak destruction that Jesus is talking to. It's the people like we sometimes are that he's talking to, who are comfortable and doing nothing when Christ calls our love out. The result The goats enter into eternal punishment. The sheep enter into eternal rest, God's kingdom, and eternal life. Before you get lost in it, this is not a proof text for salvation by works. 
Uh, it is by faith that we are saved. We wholly believe that the Scripture as a whole testifies along those truths. But to get that lost in that argument would again be evidence, in my humble opinion, of a goat-like mind. Because this is an example of what Jesus' followers, the sheep, look like on a day-to-day basis. Because even though this is not something we could turn to and say, see, it's because of what you do that you get saved. No, it is because of what Jesus has done. Still, Jesus ends the parable with black and white determinism. The goats who don't show love to the one in need go to destruction. The sheep who do love the one in need go to glory. So let me pose it to you this way. If you truly know the love of Christ, you will show the love of Christ. If the faith that God has called out of you by stepping towards you in Jesus, saving you from a sin and death from which you could not save yourself, if that is truly within you, then it will show. It will seep out. You will not be able to contain it. You as a vessel of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ and the love that has transformed this entire universe, speaking it into existence and then saving it from its own demise. This love resides within your person if you believe that God has saved you. If this is the case, your human will is not enough to squelch the power of God within you. Can I get an amen from anybody in the house this morning? If the power and the love of God are within you, it will show. And so, yes, this moves us to ask very difficult questions of the church and the state of the church, especially in America in 2019, the state of our own hearts. Do we really know the love of Christ? Do we really believe in a God who loves us enough to come and save us? If we do, then love will show. It's not what saves us, but it is an evidence of what saves us. FBC Grandview exists to ensure that every person in Grandview knows that they're loved by Jesus and his church. We want you to know that when you enter this place. We want our community to know that when they interact with us that they can know the love of Christ more every day, especially as we gather together and sing and worship and praise, that we want to grow in this love daily by seeking the love of Christ, seeking the knowledge of Christ both on our own and together in our groups in this community, and ultimately to the goal that we would show the love of Christ to others. Knowing this love, we then seek to give it back to others. If you really knew the value of what you had, it would simply come out. So I'm not here this morning to lead you to question your salvation. That is not at all what I'm doing. I'm not seeking to be one of those snakes in the grass that would do anything like that. What I am instead asking you is to ask yourself, is the fruit of what I believe God has done in me. Is it showing? Is it coming out? Because I would submit to you that just the way that I love my boys, and I can't really keep that to myself, that you probably have people in your life that you have a similar relationship with, whether it's a spouse or a parent or a close friend, or maybe some of you, it's it's even something superficial that you can't keep to yourself, 
I'm a Longhorn fan. I probably, I, I, I love watching them. I'm probably not going to keep that to myself. Even something as temporal as that is something that you're just going to know about me if you hang out with me long enough. Can it be said that when people hang out with you or spend time with you, that they will see you as one who shows the love of Christ? If not, don't move into this area where you're afraid that you're not really saved. That is Christ's job to save you. But instead, let it move you. Let it move you to show that love to others. So let me challenge you. What is one way this week that you could show the love of Christ to someone in need? To the hungry, the thirsty, the naked, the imprisoned, the lonely and sick, the thirsty. By the way, those are just types. That's not an exhaustive list of needs that Jesus is going through. It could be the depressed. It could be the, the one stressed out because of school or life or relationships. It could be a myriad of issues. What is one way that the Holy Spirit can stir in you to reach out to someone in your individual life? And then if you belong to a group, one of our grow groups, Sunday school groups that we, uh, we're calling grow groups now or Wednesday nights or any other group that meets here, what is one way that you as a group can show love to this community? Knowing the love of Christ, it only comes natural that it would come out of us because the love of Christ shows. During our time of uh, well, I believe the choir is going to come sing. Um, use this time to uh, both prepare for uh, the Lord's Supper that we're about to take, as well as reflect uh, over these words, over the words of Christ in the Scripture, and, and, and keep those two questions primary in your head. Uh, what is one way that I can show the love of Christ to someone in my life this week? And if you belong to one of our groups, what is something that God can give us to do to show love the love of Christ to our community.